Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The New Statesman. This podcast was recorded on Thursday the 26th of October, prior to the announcement of the arrest of Conservative MP Crispin Blunt. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Zoe. And I'm Rachel. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing one year of Rishi Sunak, what he promised at the beginning of his premiership and what he's achieved. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Wearmouth, deputy political editor, and Zoe Grunewald, politics and policy correspondent. So Wednesday this week marked one year of Rishi Sunak as prime minister. And today we're going to be discussing what he's achieved, what he hasn't, and whether his time in number 10 is running out. Um, So our listeners will remember that uh, when he came in after Liz Truss's chaotic 49 days, he set out five pledges for 2023 in his New Year's speech. And these were to halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, cut NHS waiting times and stop the small boat crossings. And he actually asked the public to hold him accountable for this. He said, they're on me personally. So let's do that. (laughs) Let's hold him accountable. Zoe, can you give us an update of where he is on each of these pledges, perhaps starting with inflation? Yes. Okay. so... Sunak promised to halve inflation. When when he said this, inflation was at 10.7%. Um, that would mean it would need to fall to 5.35% by the end of the year. Um, inflation now is at 6.7%. So we can see inflation's coming down, but it's not quite there yet. So arguably, and it, and it has been quite sticky for a while. So arguably, he's, he's struggling a little bit with that one. Uh, he also pledged to grow the economy. So that's measured by GDP. Um, GDP is growing so he's actually doing okay on this one. It's not growing by a huge amount, but it is growing. Uh, so it's estimated to have grown by about 0.3% in June to August. Obviously, this was following a huge fall over the pandemic and and, and et cetera. So um, there's still a lot to go, but he is making slight progress on that one. But his next pledge was to reduce debt. Debt is falling again, but it's still very stubbornly high. So as of September 2023, national debt was equal to 97.3% of GDP. Uh, This is the one Sunak's really struggling with. So cutting NHS waiting lists. So actually NHS waiting lists are rising. 
official data shows that waiting lists have reached a record high of 7.75 million in England. And actually, there was a piece published in a few papers this morning that the true size of NHS waiting lists could be up to 20 million. Um, and this is hidden, all about the kind of hidden waiting list. So this is people waiting for follow-up appointments. Um, so actually, that's almost one third of people in the country, essentially, are stuck on an NHS waiting list. So that's quite problematic for Sunak. And then the final pledge was to stop the boats, which um, was a slightly large pledge to make. Um, but he has slightly reframed it now, saying that it's about passing legislation to help stop the boats. So the government passed its illegal migration bill uh, back in July. And the number of uh, people crossing in small boats is, is down. So it's about 26,000 people so far this year. Um, and it was about 45,000 in December last year. So that is coming down as well. Obviously, to say that the year hasn't finished yet. So all these pledges can still can still move somewhat but um basically it's it's a bit of a mixed bag none of them are coming down probably quite as much as he would have wanted them to but there are there is progress being made on a few of them okay thank you that's really helpful um because it's interesting because he is actually making perhaps a little bit more progress than it looks like from the way that you watch his administration and what he's achieved so far but i think because the pledges were so were sort of rhetorically so black and white stop the boats people assume that it's not about introducing legislation that you know stops x percentage of the boats they assume that the boats will stop coming um, and it's the same with inflation as well okay maybe inflation will actually half by the end of this year but are people going to feel that you know lots of inflation the impact of inflation has yet to come through in terms of uh, how much councils have to spend on public services for example our colleague will Dunn wrote a really good piece about that so some of the impact hasn't even been felt yet so i think really it's the real life experience of whether these pledges are being followed through or not that will be the real issue for sunak yes and one of the things he was um elected by his party to um well, elected by his MPs rather, to, to come in and sort out was um, the party's reputation after Liz Truss. Yeah. And one of the things that is damaging um, the Conservatives more than anything is amongst their their usual base is, is the rise in interest rates and people's mortgages getting more expensive. So they're, even if inflation is, is falling and, you know, maybe may, he may even hit that target by the end of the year, the people he really needs to feel that, uh, the voters he will need to feel that to potentially not, hemorrhage losses at the at the general election won't really be feeling it yeah. when it comes to their household costs. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Liz Truss because that was going to be the next topic I wanted to talk about because one of the big things Rishi Sunak was basically tasked with was cleaning up that mess and the reputation and trying to calm things down as well, make politics a bit more business as usual. How much do you think he's managed to do that? It's ironic, isn't it, that after a year of his premiership, we're now seeing a legacy Liz Truss era policy come in, lifting the banker's bonus cap, which tied into a lot of measures in that mini budget that made the public think, OK, they're rewarding, you know, a certain demographic of people at the expense of others. And I think that lingering sort of horror at what Liz Truss did to the economy is still sort of a number one thing that you hear voters say when you go out um, sort of on the doorstep and things like that. I think what's really important for the Conservatives and for Conservative voters is that they feel better off under a Conservative government. Mm. And obviously, as we say, we've got stubbornly high inflation. We also have a huge demand on public services that aren't keeping up. So even if people are feeling that, you know, the impact of inflation, they're also noticing they can't get a GP appointment or, you know, they're 
kids' schools are needing to do a whip round for equipment. So everything feels worse off, really. Um, and obviously, Sunak is still hearing from the Trussites quite a lot now. There's this call for them to lower taxes, to cut inheritance tax, to cut wealth taxes. But there just isn't the wiggle room at the minute. And this is something that Sunak's really grappling with and, and Jeremy Hunt. And it's going to really, I think, come to a come to a head when we, when we get the autumn statement, which is what exactly are the government going to do to appease the right wing of the party who are saying, if we do not make life feel better off for people, if we do not reduce the amount of money going out of their paycheck every week, to taxes, then we are going to lose our base. But, you know, both the Chancellor and and, uh, the Prime Minister will say, actually, there's a lot of fiscal work that needs to be done before we can do that. So it's definitely, I mean, it's an age-old conservative thing that they're dealing with and it's a really difficult situation for Sunak to be in. Yeah, yeah. And Liz Truss has hardly sort of stayed silent since her disastrous premiership because she was a big feature at party conference, which I imagine most voters would not have noticed. But she's going to, I think, deliver an alternative budget. Um, And, you know, there were pictures of her signing her mini budget at party conference, which if I were the Labour Party, I'd forget all other comms and just publish that on every leaflet because they do have this messaging that I think is probably quite clever of of Rishi Sunak being in Liz Truss's pocket. It's about making that association with that that, um, administration as much as possible. And if I were Sunak, I'd I'd just want her mentioned as little, little as possible in the news. I think there's probably a broader problem for the Conservative Party in that they've changed Prime Minister so many yeah. times that um, there's perhaps a, an assumption at one point that you'd bring in a fresh face and um, some unity would be restored and that simply has not happened. Um, a lot of people who were Boris Johnson allies kind of feel that Rishi Sunak contributed to um, their favourite politician's downfall and that that hasn't helped him. Uh, Nadine Dorries, for example, I mean, there's a joke even in the in yeah. PPMQs this week by by Rishi Sunak that the incoming Labour MP will be more supportive of him than Nadine, <laughs> Nadine Dorries um, was. But yeah, uh, Liz Truss is, is, is certainly not, not going to be quiet over the next year and that's going to be a very difficult issue for Rishi Sunak to deal with because she's she's been the most damaging thing to the Conservative Party's electoral hopes over yeah. the last year. After the break, we'll be asking, is Rishi Sunak still haunted by Tory sleaze? If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. 
potential further by-elections around the corner. We already had the by-election in the Tamworth, yeah. which was another example of that. One of the ones that in particular stands out is Nadim Zahawi and his um, the row over his tax affairs, which yeah. um, uh, Rishi Sunak found very difficult to deal with. But there are ongoing stories about sleaze, which... Um, just don't seem to be going away and a constant drag on the party's image. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know if there's anything at this point that he can he can do to deal with deal with that. He's been in power for many many months now, and um, I think he's, they're probably, in, to some extent, taking the take, continuing to take the hit on it, and probably don't think that there's much that he can do about that before the next election because yeah. many of them many of them are legacy problems. Yes. Um, he can argue that it's a difficult inheritance, but nevertheless, you know, the drip drip of these stories in the in the eyes of the public suggests that there is a problem inherent in the party, you know, that is carrying on under his premiership. Also, I, it's not just his colleagues. There's also issues that have cropped up around Sunak as well. So not declaring his financial interests, his wife's non-dom status, all these things contribute to this criticism that was levied at Sunak very early on that does he just seem a bit too rich and out of touch? And actually, when these things keep coming through, you know, there was a story the other day about how much his wife's companies had benefited financially from some of the um, from of the schemes he'd, he'd done while he was chancellor, I think. Yeah. All of that just kind of contributes to this, this public mood that maybe, you know, he's just like the rest of them. And he really, you know, he stood on the steps of Downing Street when he became prime minister and said, integrity, transparency and accountability. Yeah. And I think almost immediately he was challenged by those within his party. But seemingly now his... His own reputation's catching up with him a bit as well. Yes, and I think that ties into a bit about, let's talk about his sort of, um, the way that he conducts himself as a politician, because he does seem to get irritated with being asked questions about that kind of thing. No politician likes to be asked about their family and their wife and everything like that. But, you know, you can tell that he just thinks, you know, why is this relevant? Why aren't people rewarding me for the, you know, for the partial stability that I've managed to sort of claw back. Is, is he a natural politician or is he just not the kind of person who you'd want to run a presidential campaign with if, if it comes to it in a general election? That's a that's a good question. I think that there has been a lot of pushback when it's come. I think I think there's, there's, there's always an instinct among politicians to have some kind of damage control. I think there was a lot of pushback um, when questions were first asked about his wife, Akshata Murthy. Yeah. Their approach to that seems to have evolved over time. It's so much so that when it came to party conferences and he had his wife int introducing him and he's tried yes. to make an asset out of um, him being a, a family man yeah. um, and his his own background. He's coming from a family of immigrants and going on to make it a big career and being a very successful person in in business. Yeah. But I think that out of touch point comes back time and time mm. again you know I think when you remember perhaps that um he he forgot to, how to how you would use a debit card or maybe he didn't even know how to use <laughs> yeah. a debit card when he was at um, a petrol station so I think some of the ways in which they've tried to present him have really back backfired mm. quite quite a lot of times and I think if if I were to think about one of the things that he's really got wrong during his time as PM is he probably hasn't given so much thought as to what made him a popular politician in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was, that was, for example, the furlough scheme. Um, it, it was because of some of the big spending that he did during the pandemic. And we've since seen this massive handbrake turn to, you could argue, to core vote strategy from the party where they want to make sure that they're communicating the fact that they're fiscal conservatives to the to the voters that would always be loyal to them and they don't continue to lose votes to Labour. Yeah. Um, and we've seen this big handbrake turn, particularly on, on climate change, where he's, you know, he had this really 
um, quite off the wall <laughs> speech in, in Downing Street where he, he, he was going through a series of measures saying I've, I've scrapped it and that watering down the UK's net zero targets, which mm. um, is actually one of the biggest risks he's taken as prime minister because um, there are a lot of conservative voters who are also very, very passionate about the environment. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you. It's it's the, the sort of persona that he had as Chancellor. He was always sceptical about the net zero agenda. But I think that, um, you know, the, the view that the public got of him was that he was someone who was sort of reacting to crises. Um, and you'd think that that would follow through on the climate as well as pandemic and the energy price rises as well. But he hasn't done that. In fact, he's trying to follow more of his own personal instincts, isn't he? He's, he's saying, OK, it doesn't really care about this, these net zero targets. He thinks that it's a, a lot of spending without any sort of cost based analysis. And so he's slowed that down. But actually, his instincts are probably less popular than the kind of chancellor that he had to be, he was forced to be during the pandemic. So I think, again, it ties into a bit of an identity crisis that you see um, in him. Yeah, I think one of you know one of the things he did really well at the beginning was the Windsor Framework Agreement, yeah. and that was a bit of a period of crisis. Really, there was this big conversation going on about Northern Ireland, the backstop, what was going to be done. Yeah. It was something that um, you know Conservative government had been grappling with for a long time. And he managed to actually avert that crisis pretty quickly. And he started off on a really good footing. Everyone thought, wow, that's competency. That's, you know, he's managed to keep the party together. But it slowly sort of started to unravel. And I think what's really interesting is when he was chancellor, he was obviously Boris Johnson's chancellor. And as we know, Boris Johnson was a prime minister who liked offering things to the public for pop, you know, to bolster his popularity. So he was quite happy to spend. Yeah. Um, and Sunak was overseeing that. But now you're right, he's kind of almost when he's out of crisis and he has to kind of try and think about what sort of prime minister he wants to be and what he wants the country to look like. He's much too influenced by, I think you're right, his personal instincts and the very vocal right of the party who are putting pressure on him. Um, and that's why you get this really mixed bag of policies from Sunak, where I just ask, who is he? You know, he he's a right-wing right conservative in many ways, but then he wants to stop, you, you know, clamp down on smoking and yeah. his only education policies were about mass A-levels. And, you know, it's all a bit confused and it's a bit sort of hodgepodge. And I just think he doesn't really have a, a set vision or like a set persona that people can really kind of get behind. Mm. I think that's right. And I think identity crisis is, is one of the things that you kind of could le could level at, at Rishi Sunak if you're mm. trying to if you you know if you asked a number uh, number of voters what they thought of him I, I wonder what they would actually come out with in 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 some like more qual qualitative research but yeah yeah I think when you talked about the winter framework that is one of his achievements from mm. over, from over the the last year I think maybe one of the reasons he hasn't got credit for it is one of the things that is beyond his control and that's that Stormont's not not up and yes. not up and running and that's not something that I think would necessarily be solved by an incoming Labour administration either. Yeah. But um, considering the Conservatives have been in power for 13 years, he's going to take some of the hit for that, for not being able to bring some of those groups together. Um, yeah. But we've seen sort of, yeah, his political identity change over time. You know, there's one point where people were encouraging the public to see him as some kind of heir to, heir to Blair, where he's going and trying to bring consensus in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, and now he's sort of this tough um, fiscal conservative. I can't work out quite what he will sell to voters at the next election. Yeah, and, and trying to be this change candidate, which seems to be the newest gambit 
is really, you know, it's really difficult. And also he has been around and very prominent for a long time. The, the pandemic meant that there was, you know, there was no choice but for voters to know who he was. And actually, he was the most popular politician in the country, apart from, I think, Andy Burnham mm. <laughs> at that point. Um, so it's interesting. Um, and, and then what about how he's viewed within the party? Our, our colleague, Rachel Cunliffe, wrote a great piece this week. She's she's off on a well-earned birthday off Um in which uh, there was an MP in her piece that told her that they thought there might be 20 to 25 letters that had gone into the 1922 committee. Our listeners will remember uh, many 1922 committee letter <laughs> campaigns passed. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there any sort of significant backlash against him or is it just disquiet at these by-election losses and the fact that they're just not seeing any public approval bounce? Well, I, I think the loss in mid-Bedfordshire, which, you yeah. know, I mean, true blue mid-Bedfordshire, Will has probably shaken a lot of Conservative Party MPs, but I don't think anybody um, seriously and determinedly would try to remove him before the next election. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, I think the mood's probably one of dismay um, and that they have to unite around the leader that they have before they have to go to the polls. Well, it used to be conventional wisdom that he was the best that they had, their best hope, but... According to some of the polling, at least, it looks like he's actually a drag on, on the party at the moment. Zoe, you've been looking at some of the numbers. The most recent sort of piece of polling I can find um, is in The Independent. And it says, what just one in five voters now believe Mr Sunak would make the best prime minister. And that's down from a quarter before the Conservative Party conference. And in comparison, if there was a general election, 24% of voters said they would back the Conservatives. So you can see there's a small but significant increase in the number of people who support the Conservatives and the number of people who like Sunak. And that's different from when he first came yeah. into office. When he first came into office, he was more popular than his party. And uh, the, the, the sort of received wisdom was that he's done well to distance himself from the sort of Conservative, you know, psychodrama that had been yeah. defining the party for the last year. But now it seems that actually, yes, he's, he's more of a drag on the party, which um, isn't the sort of position, you know, the Prime Minister would want to be in as we kind of run up to a general election. And, and it's the sort of thing that will make members of the party jittery and I think Rachel's right I, I don't foresee I think it would be very unwise for them to try and have another leadership contest but you can see why especially if you were about to lose your seat or you thought you were about to lose your seat you might be like oh should we have one more throw of the dice <laughs> um, but I think that would be um, a bad decision <laughs> Okay, great. Thanks, guys. That was a really good overview, I think. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth and Zoe Grunewald. We'll be back next week. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 